And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his <clears throat> bond servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have <clears throat> need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will reign forever and ever. Well done, Trail. Appreciate that. Good morning. Did you know that in Scripture, uh, Yahweh, Creator, the Great I Am, our God, is talked about more than any other thing? Probably doesn't catch you off guard uh, this morning uh, that God, the Creator, uh, is talked about more than any other thing, that Scripture talks about revealing who God is. Um, Second to Yahweh, the most talked about thing in all of scripture is humanity it's it's humans it's you probably doesn't strike you too surprising this morning either no Corbin the third and this still may not be surprising to you but the third most talked about thing uh, in all of scripture is trees and there's a it's likely that this is an oversimplification uh, but the word tree shows up over 800 times in Scripture. The word can also mean uh, branch. It can mean staff, wood, bush, fruit. It can even mean vine. So it does cover uh, a lot of ground. But 800 times the word tree is mentioned. So if you were to grab your Bible made of tree, on average, every two pages you would come across something about trees, somewhere in the background, somewhere being part of the story. God loves to use trees to tell great stories. So this morning, I want to talk to you about trees. That probably doesn't surprise you either because we are five days away from the opening of archery deer season. And I cannot wait Like, I can't sleep now because I'm excited about getting in a tree. And hopefully all of nature forgetting that there's this big ugly thing up in the tree. Like, I am excited. That's probably some of it. Some of it's probably also the last two years in my own uh, 
um, faith journey. Like I, I've been listening to a lot of Baymall discipleship, a lot of Bible project, and they, trees is a major flowing theme throughout scripture. And so it has, it has caught my attention and I've been trying to absorb and, and retain and, and hopefully this morning um, share a little bit of what God's been doing in me as well. So um, this morning to get us kind of going, I want to share some pretty cool tree facts um, that I have learned. So if you're not excited, just put on the fake smile, okay? All right, let's pray. God, um, thank you for being our dwelling place, um, our refuge, our, our tree that brings life um, in so many ways. God, may what I get to say this morning bring justice to you. May it reveal you. May it speak you. May we be purposeful with, with your living, breathing word. God, we know you're here. May we be attentive to what your spirit is doing. May we walk in that today. In Jesus' name, church says, let it be, let it be. All right, I have some photos of trees. Um, and I, I think I've got the keynote wired where it's just going to automatically scroll. But if it doesn't, it gets stuck. You can be like, hey, Barry, you've looked at the same tree for a while or just just go with it, whatever. All right, so some, uh, some cool tree facts that, that I have I've picked up on uh, recently. Uh, did you know trees never die of old age? How's that for a starter? They either get disease, they get struck by lightning, they get ran over by a car, you decide you want to build a church building or a house or something, and you like have a lot of trees removed, but trees never die uh, of old age. Um, they are the longest living organisms, longest living things that exist on planet Earth. Uh, a living tree is made up of 99% dead cells. Only 1% of a tree is ever truly alive, and I love that. I love that a tree is mostly dead to itself because trees exist. Their major purpose is to provide for us, to provide for all living creatures other than themselves. One large tree in one day will consume upwards of 100 gallons of water. And then it returns that water back into the atmosphere as vapor and oxygen. One large tree can provide enough oxygen for a family of four to survive for a whole year just by what it produces in the amount one day. Big trees give nutrition uh, to smaller trees. If there's a smaller tree that's sick near a bigger tree, that bigger tree somehow knows, and so it begins giving nutrients until that sick tree gets better. And starts to grow again. And when that, that younger tree starts to grow again, it also starts to give nutrients to the smaller trees around it. The majority of a tree's life is to benefit everyone and everything else. 99% of a tree's life is for animals and it's for humans and the world around us. It's also said that 
a full-grown oak tree can house up to 500 or so uh, species of living organisms. Um, if a tree is by your house, it is said, especially if that the canopy or the foliage, whatever, that thing is somehow able to shade a little bit of your house, it, is, it helps reduce energy by like 30%. Um, if you're trying to sell your house and there happens to be trees near your house, it increases property value by upward of a quarter. And I, I don't mean like 25 cents, I mean 25%. Um, hospitals have done research and they say that if there's a recovering patient in a hospital room, if there's a tree near their window where they're able to see it, they, rec- they recover quicker. In, in large metropolitan areas where they've kept groves of trees, people who live near those groves have better immune systems and just have better overall mental health. Even when a tree dies, it never stops serving us. It can be used to, to keep your house warm. It can build your house or your churches. If the tree's never actually harvested by humans and it just begins to die out in the wild, it, as it decays, it gives nutrients back to the soil to help every other living thing. A tree's work is never, never seems to, to be done. And our God loves to tell stories using trees. So this morning where I kind of want to point us uh, as we get going, the first tree that we're going to converse about is the tree in the garden in Eden. It's called the tree of toe. Uh, and raw. Uh, the tree of toe and raw. Toe, as does raw, they have some pretty wide meanings. Toe, um, toe means moral goodness, but it could also just mean pleasant. Um, raw can mean bad moral decisions, um, but can also mean unpleasant. It could mean just bad, like black licorice. It's, it's just nothing evil about it. It's just bad. Amen. I know. I, I get you. Um, so Yahweh, and this is Genesis, Genesis, the early chapters, if you'd like to be there. But Genesis, God, Yahweh reaches down and he begins to form dirt, uh, the dirt man, Adam, humanity. And he gets close enough to humanity that he can breathe into that. He can resuscitate. Not that they've ever been resuscitated is that you know what i'm saying like they've never had life but he's breathing life into them his his ruah his spirit not long into the story uh, in fact depending on how big your bible is it's probably on the same page um adam and eve are at the tree and the satan shows up um and the deceiver of course shows up and starts off with this really big lie says does did god really say that that you couldn't eat from any of these trees. And Eve says, no. Uh, he said that we can eat from all the trees except this one, uh, the tree of death. If we eat from this tree, then we shall surely die. 
And since the Satan couldn't convince Adam and Eve humanity uh, on his big lie, he has this brilliant idea. What he decided to do was sell a half-truth with a half-lie. Oh, be warned, followers of Jesus. He is only honed in on this skill. He convinces Adam and Eve that they can't trust really what God has said. God told them, eat from everything but not from this tree because when you do, you will die. And they take and they eat of the fruit of the tree and they don't listen to God. And darkness invades a world that God has just called good. And you know what happens next. In the next chapter, there's this brother. He's not even an enemy. There's this brother who kills his own brother. And then after that, there's Lamech. And and Lamech starts to write songs about his violence, violence upon violence. And of course, we are a society of people who who know nothing about having songs about violence. Ah. Creation was Yahweh breathing life into humanity. And now humanity is decreating. It's, it's taking breath, the ruah of God, out of others and then putting them back into the ground. We're only six chapters in and, and Yahweh is grieved. He is grieved that he has formed humankind and he's ready to wipe them off. Like if you've ever given dry erase markers to our little kids and left them alone in the we worship room, like it's just God's ready to wipe away what we've done. Our second tree this morning, we're going to call the laughing tree. This is Genesis chapter 18. Here we find a story about Abraham and Sarah, and Scripture starts pretty quickly in chapter 18 that they are old, like really old. And God comes to Abraham and Sarah, their tent is under a tree, and God comes to Abraham and says, your old wife whose womb is dead, she is going to have a baby. And you know what Sarah does. <laughs> do, you, do you know how old I am? And God is going to put life into me now? <laughs> and the Hebrew writer records, Sarah laughs as she says she is as good as dead. But you will have a child and you will name him Isaac Isaac means what, church? Laughter. A few days go by, a few weeks go by, a few months go by, maybe even a few years. And Sarah says, you know what? Maybe, maybe I shouldn't be listening to what God says. If, if I want a child, I need to find a way to do it on my own terms. So in that culture... Uh, There was a tradition that if a woman uh, couldn't have a child, she could get a child. You won't probably hear this taught a lot in our children's Bible classes, but what Sarah does is she goes over, grabs the arm of her slave girl, um, takes her over to her husband, Abraham, come here, and says, you will conceive a child by my husband. And when that child is born, I'm going to come and take him 
and he will be mine. And Abraham, he goes along with it. Much like Eve giving the fruit to Adam at the tree in the garden, Sarah and Abraham once again take fruit from a tree that looks good in their own eyes. And then, not long after that, Sarah decides that she doesn't want Ishmael. So she says, let's send that baby away. Let's send that woman away. So Abraham has to go take the hand of his son, grab the arm of Hagar, the slave girl, walk them to the edge of camp, give them a water bottle, and send them out into the desert to die. So Hagar carries Ishmael out for a little ways. She knows what's about to happen and she can't bear to watch it. So she places Ishmael under, under a tree, under a bush because she can't bear to watch. And she goes about as far away as somebody could shoot a bow. And she falls down and she just cries out, God. Scripture says that God hears her. He tells her, you will not surely die. I made a promise to that boy's father to make a great nation out of his offspring. They'll be more numerous than the sand on the seashore, more numerous than the stars in the sky. And you know, from then on, Ishmael's descendants and who's coming next, Isaac's descendants, they have been at war. Because quite some time, people have been coming to the trees of testing. And instead of choosing to let God lead, to actually trust that his way is better, we keep choosing our own way. We keep choosing what looks good in our own eyes. It's heavy. So I want you to just breathe in and breathe out with me. I want to give you more tree facts. Something not so heavy as humanity coming to the tree of testing and choosing their own way. I, you can just show of hands if you want. I love pine cones. Do you love pine cones? Okay. If you have ever been to Ponderosa Christian Camp, you know, uh, it's usually every afternoon when there's quiet time, like before supper, before the big night of activities that everybody's supposed to be asleep in their bunks. How many kids do you think actually go to sleep in their bunks during quiet time? You're right. How many counselors would love to be asleep during quiet time? That's what ensues is the cabins become like fortresses and everybody grabs pine cones and there's this just this giant pine cone war. And it is awesome. And I can only assume that up the hill on the girl's side of camp, that that's happening too. I don't, I don't know. Girl's side is scary. <laughs> if you've been to men's retreat in the last, I don't know, couple years, pine cones have played a pretty important part of our male bonding. We play pine cone derby. There's fans in the stands. There's a fence. There's pine cones. And we just try to, hit more pine cone home runs than, than anybody else. I like pine cones. 
See, when, I don't know if you know this, but inside a pine cone, there's actually seeds of life for like baby pine trees. When it gets cold outside, these, these pine cones will begin to close. And when it's spring comes and when it warms up, they open up and these little, I call them helicopters. I don't know what they're really called, but these little helicopter floaty things will just start flying through the sky just so they can get away from their parent tree. And they can, they can cross states depending on what kind of winds are going on. And they get somewhere and they land, they're covered by dirt and that seed then dies. And out from the death of that seed comes this little sapling. And that sapling, of course, begins that cycle of a pine tree over and over again. But I love it because before a pine tree can live, it must die. All right, two more trees. These are, these are probably my favorite trees in Scripture. Our third tree today is what we're going to call the tree of Jehovah Jireh. And depending on what you're doing with Hebrew, it could also mean God sees. But for what we're doing today, Jehovah Jireh, meaning that God will give you exactly what you need. It may not be what you want, but God will, God will provide. And this story is still about Abraham, still about Sarah. Even after all this laughing at God, choosing their own way, instead of God's, Yahweh still gives Sarah a child. Even though there's no life in Sarah, God can still put life into dying, dead things. And they name that child laughter. And when I say laughter, I'm not talking about like, sometimes I try to say jokes to Olivia and she kind of fake laughs like y'all right now. Uh, sometimes I try to tell jokes to my student ministry, my friends, and it's all the same. It's kind of like, that's not what this laughter is. This is the kind of laughter where you can't, you know when you're with your best friend and you have that laughter where you just can't catch your breath. You are so filled. There's like tears, joy. That's what, that's what Isaac named really means, laughter. So, God comes to Abraham and says, you, you haven't trusted me very well in, in the past. So I want to put you through a test. And if you'd like to follow along, this test is Genesis chapter 22. I want you to take your one and only son whom you love. Where else in scripture have you heard somebody talking about one and only son whom you loved? This isn't his one and only son, but I want you to take your one and only son whom you love and I want you to go up to a high place where there's this tree and I want you to take the life the ruah, the breath of your son. I want you to give up his life. Man, that makes me uncomfortable. Why would Yahweh ask this? You know, of course, we have Hebrews to look at. And the writer of Hebrews um, says over and over that if, 
and this is out of Abraham, I guess, talking that if, if God who can put life into Sarah's womb asks this of me, surely he can put life back into my son whose life I'm going to take when I put him into the ground. Surely he can raise him up again. So Abraham decides to listen to what God says this time and, and passes, I think, humanity's test. But I want you to wrestle with me and I want you to, us to wrestle with scripture uh, together. We mentioned before that God told Abraham he was going to put him through a test. And, and I think for the most part, we would all say, I would say that Abraham passed that test. We've heard the story before. We know how it ends up. I don't know if you've ever thought about this in text. You probably have. But after Genesis 22, Isaac never goes back home. He didn't go home with his father. And Abraham and Sarah, they're never the same again. She dies in a far off place. Probably neither here nor there. Things to look at, things to study. Um, but anyway, Abraham, Isaac, the servants, they get close to the high point on this mountain. Uh, Abraham tells his servants to wait here because we, Isaac and I, are going up to worship. And then we, and the Hebrew implies this wish. There's, I think we've read this as this confident, we'll come back. There's this, I wish we'd come back together. Because they don't. We'll come back down. So Isaac picks up the wood, which is little parts of trees, and they head up to the high place. There, they build this altar. They lay the wood on it. Isaac allows his dad to bind him up and place him on the altar. Abraham raises the knife, and just as he's about to descend, a voice from heaven cries out, do not harm the boy. Don't do anything to him. You don't have to provide the sacrifice. I will. And Abraham lifts up his eyes, and there he looks to this tree, this thicket, and there's this ram that's caught by the horns. And the implication here is it might have been there for some time, this ram. Just like Moses at this burning bush, these things have probably been going on for a long time. It's until somebody finally looks and notices, oh. So it seems that finally a human, an intercessor for the people has come to the tree of testing and listened to what God wanted and has passed the test. But did he, and I told you, I told you we were gonna wrestle. I mean, he does pass. But just a few stories earlier, Abraham is pleading on the case of Sodom. Don't destroy the city. Surely there are 50 people who haven't turned away from Yahweh. Surely there's 45, 30, 20, 10. He stops at 10. Why did he stop? Why not five, Abraham? Why not four? Why not one? Maybe the test is Abraham standing in between God, standing in between his son. They were used to pagan gods wanting, like little G gods, wanting child sacrifice. We want to have better crops. We want the rain to fall. Uh, we want this enemy to not invade our land. And so people would bring their little babies to temples and kill them. This was not 
an outrageous um, request. But maybe the test was Abraham getting in the middle of Isaac and God and being like, this isn't who you are. This isn't what you do. That's the, all the other gods. You're not like them. And if you are, instead of taking Isaac's life, however young or old he is, instead of taking his life, I'll stand in the middle and you take mine. We know that God, Jehovah Jireh, does provide a sacrifice. So to our last tree. tree of Golgotha. Our King Jesus has been doing lots of things. Speaking, bringing, showing kingdom, healing people, love is being spoke. He's showing the world how God really feels about us. He's bringing every outcast you can think of and inviting them into the party, inviting them into the story. He's just had supper with his closest friends. He's invited them to live the life of a towel and a water basin. And he knows that the tree of testing is is once again just outside the door. In just a few moments in scripture, it's like we rewind all the way back to the very beginning where humanity is being tested in the garden in Eden. Jesus is headed there again. Jesus is once again in a garden. This time it's Gethsemane. And when he's there, he he falls down. Yahweh, I know what's coming. I know the pain. I know the suffering. I know the darkness that's going to fall on me. This isn't going to be easy. And I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't want to have to stand at this tree. This was always humankind. This was always man and woman's tree of testing. It's their responsibility. But over and over and over They've come to the tree and they've failed. Then King Jesus says, maybe, maybe, maybe the most powerful words in in all of scripture. Not my will, yours. Your will be done. Jesus is fully alive yet he has just died to himself. He's come to the tree of testing and trusted that God's way over his own is always better and he follows through. Jesus goes to the cross. They they put him up on the tree. And according to Mark's gospel, he, after several, several hours, he cries out, it's finished, and he exhales loudly. His ruah his spirit, he breathes his last. And they place him in the ground and they cover him up. But to ever really be alive, he must first die. 
So he defeats death. He defeats the curse. And the stone that we sang about in that first song, that stone is still being rolled away. Our God is still taking dead things and making them alive. So it's not too late for you. We don't have to stay dead. We don't even have to play dead uh, this morning. If only we could learn that no, the testing tree is never pleasant. It's not fun. But if the people of God would trust that his way is better and constantly, consistently, daily surrender our will to his plans, our progress, our everything to his way, even to the point of death, oh, what kind of fruit-bearing, content, hospitable, Joyful, satisfied, trusting, growing, free lives that we would be living. Let those with ears hear. If you have any um, any need, any response, any uh, anything, we'd love to to be there for you that this morning. So uh, we'll stand together and we'll sing.